the reason you need to get your blood pumping before I start preaching is that if someone had a pulmonary embolism while I was preaching, I'd never get hired anywhere else again. That's just a joke for some of you. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, every once in a while, I do something that, uh, you do something that you hope no one saw. I did this last night. I, I'm actually so confident in my ability to do things that I hope no one sees that in my sermon outline, I just wrote, tell them you, what you did that you hope no one would see. I knew it would happen. I wrote that on Monday. I knew it would happen. Last night, I, Rachel uh, drove to Texarkana last night with some friends, apparently just to get ice cream. And uh, there was a, but they had a good time, and I had the girls with me, and I was trying to get the girls um, arranged so that they could get ready for bed. And I had told them to do a couple of things. I said, you need to, you need to use the restroom, and you need to uh, brush your teeth. And they were not doing those things as promptly as I had hoped. And I came in um, where I could see them, and I said, girls, you need to do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. I felt like that was a good dad thing to say. I was pretending, and then I turned and ran into a wall. (laughs) Now, they didn't see this, but I I felt so firm with it. You need to do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. And just, they thought, And I was so glad they didn't see that because I would have lost all credibility for the rest of my life with them. Every time from then on out I would be getting onto them, they'd say, you got to watch afterward, he may be doing something dumb. And while that's sort of a, a small example of when you trip and you look around to see if anyone saw and then you look back at whatever you tripped on, like, what were you doing, um... That those, those little things throughout the day where you think, man, I hope no one saw me doing that. Or you realize you're singing too loud in the car and you're at a stop sign and you turn and someone's staring at you singing at the top of your lungs. Sometimes it's our shame in what we do that, we, that keeps us from hoping every, someone or everyone sees all sides of us. And I think shame is one of those things that uh, is, is tricky to talk about. Because the, w- the way we talk about shame, it is just that public humiliation. When I feel shame publicly, it is then that I should indeed be ashamed. But most of you, I'm guessing, have lived long enough To know what it feels like to be ashamed of yourself, whether or not anyone notices. Maybe it's you've got this one particular habit, this one particular practice that you are ashamed of. And you are just so scared someone's going to find out. You know that feeling? That's a scary feeling. Now, 
this is uh, not helped by the church a lot. Because we say, we open up an invitation, and we'll say, oh, if you, if you are feeling ashamed, if you've got some sin that you're wrestling with, you're struggling with, and you need help, please come forward and sit by yourself on the front pew. Now, thankfully, I'm really, I'm really thankful that this is not what we do. If you, come, if you choose to come forward today, I want you to know that you're not, you, you, you won't be physically alone. Uh, there are, where, where, where I was raised, you were, no one came near you. You might as well have shouted, unclean, unclean, as you were walking down the aisle, sit in your own little spiritual time out for a second. There's a, there's, but here, you will not be physically alone. Now, here's the problem with that. Is even though you are not physically alone, you come forward, I'm going to sit by you, I'll put my arm around you, Eddie's going to come and sit by you. I mean, your friends, your family, come forward. Um, after it's over, no one goes back, everyone comes, comes up and loves you. No matter what it is, they'll love you. But even though you are not physically alone, you will feel emotionally and spiritually and intellectually alone. Because in the end, all, everyone else is coming forward to support and do something holy. You're coming forward to feel ashamed. And it, it's in that moment, where you, just even in the imaginary moment, where you walked yourself through the paces of coming forward and sitting down front and claiming you're a sinner. That's the scariest part, isn't it? Now, I am not making a push today to have more people come forward. I'm actually, I'm actually not. But I just want you to feel the, the pain and, and anxiety of letting your shame, often private shame, become public shame. You actually know when you're living in sin is when you're more afraid of living in shame than you are of dying in sin. You're more afraid of somebody finding out than you are of continuing to do it. That sort of shame can cripple a person. It can ruin a, ruin a Monday and a Thursday. It can, it can absolutely harm your life. And I want you to know that everybody in this room feels it. There are parts of us, parts of me... Rachel, Rachel gets on to me sometimes um, when, and I have to be careful because she's not, she's back in KFC, um, and I always, I don't feel guilty when I tell a story on her and she's here, but when she's not here, I always feel a little guilty. But, press on I will. Uh, <laughs> Rachel gets on to me sometimes whenever I say something about our, our kids or say, tells, she, she says, I, I don't want that church thinking we have a perfect family. We don't. We don't have a perfect marriage. And I hopefully, I often joke that we don't argue, we just, we had an aggravated discussion. 
Those happen. We disagree. There are times that we aren't nice to each other. And so there's a, there's a, a, a hope, you know, deep down that that doesn't really get out. But it's true. And in your marriage or in your life or what you do at school or what you do when no one's looking, there's a fear in you, I believe, that that's going to become public. And I want you to know that while you may not feel comfortable um, coming forward and in front of the, the church, I want you to know you, need, you probably need to make that, you definitely need to make that public to somebody. Somebody needs to know that you're struggling. Somebody needs to know what you're going through. And whether it's a professional counselor or it's me or it's um, one of the elders, we have great elders here. One of the deacons here, we have great, we have great elders' wives and deacons' wives and lay people. We, everybody here, I feel like you can go to someone you trust and they will hold you accountable. And they will understand. Because deep down, that's what's making us feel all alone in our shame is that we believe no one else would understand. I understand. I do. Deep down, I really do. Because if I haven't struggled with it, I've loved someone who's struggled with it. And I know the world's broken. And you're not alone. I want to tell you a story this morning that I think might help you. If you're living in a spot where you think, the shame I feel from my sin is too much to bear. I want, I want you to have some hope this morning. I'm not going to lecture you about, I'm not going to lecture you anymore. You don't have to come forward and say it out loud. You don't have to, I just want you to have some hope. The story of Jesus' crucifixion begins like this. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out, led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, or when they came to Golgotha, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. The cross was the peak of shamefulness. Jesus, when crucified, no one looked upon him and said, Oh, but he's doing this for our sins. This is very helpful what he's doing. Thank you, Jesus. No. They saw one criminal, two criminals, three criminals. He was led out. Luke wants us to know that Jesus' Jesus's situation is between two criminals. No one said, oh, well, there's two criminals and then there's Jesus of Nazareth. Who's he was being crucified because they believed he was acting in a way that was against the Roman government. The, his own people had told the Roman officials that he needed to be crucified. 
because he was leading them astray and saying things against Caesar. Listen, you didn't get crucified for just being a thief. You didn't get crucified just for, for saying a few poor words in the, in the uh, marketplace. You got crucified whenever you were doing something so bad that the Roman government thought it needed to make an example of you so other people wouldn't do that. So it was a public thing. They never crucified people out in hidden places. They crucified people publicly so that they can say, see these people and the crimes they committed, their shame is on them alone and you shouldn't follow in their footsteps. When you were crucified, you were stripped of all of your clothes. Publicly shamed for your sins. For, uh, for a lot of us, the, the, the scariest thing we could think of is Everybody knowing what we've done. Everybody knowing everything we've done. It could be one of the scariest tales to tell. But for Jesus, this moment on a cross was one of shame regardless of how perfect he was. The cross was designed to put you to shame. Now, as for the other two criminals, they should have been ashamed. Their life had led them to this point, and they deserved it. And so Jesus was there situation, situated between them. Now, just to show you how shameful this can be. Um, everyone just sort of harassed you while you were on the cross. It's like being in the stocks in, um, I almost said first century America. You know what, I'm going to stick with that. Uh, it's being in the stocks and, and being um, taunted in public, except this was torturous death. And they, they had this... Um, just tradition of if you walk by people on the cross, you kind of, you, you got to belittle them. It was a free shot. The Roman government was belittling them. You got to as well. And so look what happened. Just get down to verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, these are rulers of the Jews. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, which would be like if, if, you have, if you were a king, you would get wine, but they mix it with vinegar to make it just like the worst tasting stuff. So um, they, they were mocking him by, just by giving him wine vinegar. And they also mocked, mocked him by saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Even the sign that was written on his cross, which indicated what his crime was, mocked him. This is the king of the Jews. It wasn't saying he was the king of the Jews. It was a sarcastic um, nudge 
to everyone involved. Oh, he thought he was the king of the Jews. You think you're so special. If you, you think you're so powerful, why don't you save yourself? Now, one of the criminals who often does, who, who did, one of the criminals does what people often do when they are caught in their shame. They point at other people and say, well, they too. Them also. He turned his attentions, hopefully, to get the attention off him, I'm sure. He turned his attentions to Jesus as well. Verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. It, it, it is at this point that everyone around Jesus believes that he had failed. And that's how it feels when we sin. That's how it feels when a young woman goes on a date with her boyfriend and at the night's conclusion makes a promise to herself that it will never happen again. And then it happens again. This is how it feels when a young man or an older man young woman or an older woman turns off the computer and says it will never happen again. And then it happens again. That's shame. It's when I just don't want this to happen, yet it's happening. It's when the world thinks you failed. It's when you think you have failed. Now, what's interesting, go back to the date, right? With the young lady and the young man. And the young man will take the young lady out and say, well, we're going to go look at the stars. Young ladies, um, it, unless he's an astrologist, bad idea. Even if, he's, even if he's an astrologist, probably a bad idea. But what happens is the shame that comes after sin often doesn't keep us from sin. It actually leads us into more sin. Because we feel so bad about ourselves. And we think, oh, I'm an awful human being. We feel so alone in our sin that we end up going back to the thing that, that knows us. which is our sin. That shame we feel when we have sinned, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what it feels to be shamed, or knows how it feels to be shamed. He knows that what it feels like to have everyone believe that you are a failure. He knows what public shame feels like. 
the second criminal rebuked the first criminal and said, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We get what we deserve. For we, we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. The shame on this man, he says, is not earned. But it was chosen. He chose to bear the shame of the cross so that he can bear our sins. He didn't just die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross with our sins. And it's because He bore that shame too that this second criminal now looks and says, no, this is unjust. This is is not right. And rebukes the first criminal because what Jesus is suffering, what Jesus is going through is undeserved. He says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, because Jesus went through the shame of the cross, he can look to his right and understand what the criminal who deserves his shame is going through. You are not alone. You are not going through this all by yourself. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted. He knows what it feels like to be shamed. He knows what it feels like for everyone to think that he's a failure. Because that's what a cross was. If you landed on a cross, it means you lost. That what you wanted was not good and you did not get what you wanted. The Roman government saw to it. There is hope for the shamed. There is redemption for the sinner. You are not alone. I I believe that on the cross, Jesus shared in our shame so that we could share in the victory of the empty tomb. On the cross, Jesus shared in our shame so we could share in the victory of the empty tomb. Your brokenness is not the final 
word. You are, you are not alone. Your sin is not, does not get the final say. This man on the cross, this man that Jesus speaks to, all he does is acknowledge his own place of brokenness. Acknowledge his own shame. He says to the other criminal, I deserve what I'm getting. We deserve what we are getting. But this man died on a cross. He's innocent. And then he says to Jesus a question that we should, we should say to Jesus. Remember us. And Jesus says, I will remember you. You are not alone and you are not forgotten. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't call, then call us to a sinless life. He is not that cruel. But he reminds us that, that we are not forgotten and that we are not alone. And that he understands. Get done with that date. Turn off that computer screen. Put those taxes in the mail that are just not quite the truth. Leave that house that you shouldn't have been at for the last time. Not trusting yourself to not go back. The shame of our decisions is earned. We deserve the spot we're getting. But for some reason, God saw fit to redeem us. For some reason, God saw the need to justify. For some reason, God decided that he, want, he loved us so much that he would send his only son that whoever believes in him would not suffer death. We would not be condemned, but we will find salvation. God shared in our shame so that we could share in the victory of the empty you are not alone. You are not forgotten. Look what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What he's saying there is he did it first and did it best. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And he has gone through what you have gone through. He did it first and he did it best so that we could follow in his footsteps. Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What shame wants for you, what shame wants for you is to grow weary and lose heart and give in and complete the cycle. Just keep doing it again and again. And what Jesus wants for you is for you to see Him and see that for the joy set before Him, He endured that shame for you and suffered your punishment for you so that you can have confidence that He will remember you in His kingdom. That on the day of your death, you will be with him in paradise. Jesus did this for you. Suffered this for you. The favorite part of that passage is the word, the phrase, for the joy set before him. What is that? What was the joy set before him? Now, some would say heaven, but I disagree. I, I can't imagine he would have left. He, he, did, he left heaven, came to earth, and then suffered the cross. What was it? I would argue that it's you. That winning you. He knew you were broken. He knew you would continue to be broken. And for, for you, relationship with you, he suffered the shame of the cross. Sometimes you just want to read the Bible and find hope. There's a lot of things in the Bible that asks us, well, you've got to forgive and you've got you to feed the poor and you, you can get... You can get into the Bible and feel real guilty real fast. I know I can. But the main message, the the, the pinnacle of the story is a man, Jesus of Nazareth, God's only son on a cross, suffering the sin and shame for you. I would argue that if you're stuck in a sin-shame cycle. That the only way out of that is to fix your eyes on the one who suffered the shame of the cross, endured it, and conquered death for you. I would argue that that's just the only way to go. To shake free of the sin and the life, the, the, the hurdle that can slow us down and easily entangle us, the only way to do that is to fix our eyes on Jesus. The guy who did it first and did it the best so that you could follow him. The only hope you have is Jesus. The only hope you have is Jesus. Because he is the one who suffered the shame of the cross 
so that you can endure or that you could experience the victory of the empty tomb. You are not alone. You are not forgotten. If you feel alone, if you feel forgotten, if you need Jesus, today is the day to come forward, to go backward, to go sideways. Today is the day to grab someone and tell someone Today is the day. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. Let's stand and sing.